0: Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the great privilege we have to study your word tonight, I pray that you would draw our hearts close to you, that you would open our eyes and ears to your truth, and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a quick story about a young lady named Lauren, and Lauren I met a couple of years ago when I was pastoring, she came to my church, and Lauren grew up in the church, Lauren went to elementary school in the Adventist system. She went to uh, the middle school uh, type of thing and went through uh, eighth grade in the Adventist system. She then went to academy in the Adventist system. And then she went to uh, one of our universities. And when she came to me, she said, I'm not exactly sure why I think I want or should be an Adventist. She says, I'm not even sure uh, about our beliefs. She says, I don't know about them. And she said, in fact, my senior year in college, I wrote a paper that was counteracting or against Ellen White. And I said, really? I said, you must have done a lot of research. And she said, yeah, I found all kinds of things online. And I asked her a very important question. I said, you wrote a, a thesis paper that is against Ellen White being, um, you know, called as a prophet of God. And I said, but how many of her books have you ever actually read? And she looked at me and she says, well, I've never read any of them. I said, really? I said, so you read what everyone else said about Ellen White, and then you wrote a paper out of that, but you've never actually read her for yourself. And she said, no. I said, well, that's very Interesting. And I said, she said, but you know, she says, I want to believe and I want to know what our church teaches. And I said, well, listen, I'm about to start an evangelistic meeting. I said, why don't you come to that meeting and you'll learn night by night everything that we believe and it'll be centered in Jesus. And when she came to the meetings, she said uh, she came every single night. And at the end of those meetings, she said, I had absolutely no idea that our church believes these things. She says, these truths are so incredible. She said, they are so life-changing. And most of all, I find Christ at the very center of all of them. And she said, Jesus has been revealed to me in a way like I've never understood Him before. My heart is different. My life is changed. And then she told me just a little bit later that she had a dream, that Jesus came back to the earth and jesus returned with all the clouds uh, in the clouds and all the angels in the clouds with him and she said she saw christ coming in the clouds and then she had this overwhelming sensation that she was not ready and she said fear grabbed hold of me and she said in the dream and she says i didn't know what to do and she said a voice came from heaven and it said if you want to be ready you need to read the book, The Great Controversy. And she said, so I I've I just picked up that book, and she began reading that book, and she said that book was mind-blowing to me. She said, I had no idea that our church believed such things or had these things, such precious truths. And she said, my life again has been radically changed. And I don't dare tonight ask how many of you have ever read the book, The Great Controversy? But if you have not read the book, Great Controversy, I want to challenge you tonight to go home. I, 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 I'm not even encouraging you to wait till tomorrow, but I'm encouraging you tonight to go home and crack that book open and start to read that book. And I would encourage you to also read the book, The Desire of Ages. And I would also encourage you to read the book, Steps to Christ. If you've never read these books, your life will be transformed if you read them. And so the situation with Lauren, I believe, is really a problem that is spreading across our entire church, all across the NAD and now in other places, and that is that a person can actually go through our entire system and still not fully understand what we believe as a church. Now, what I'm not doing is I'm not faulting the system, per se, because sometimes the problem is with the person. They just check out and they don't want to listen. You understand? But the reality is that any person who really wants to know what we believe can find that out. There's opportunities everywhere, including here at Southern. Amen? But for some reason or another, young people are going from elementary school all the way through university, and even in some cases the master's program, still not yet knowing what it is our church believes. And there's a growing crisis in our church, I believe, today that promises to leave many people unprepared for the coming of Jesus. You know, the church has always had um, attacks from the outside world. The world has always been trying to creep inside the church, but this is not exactly the issue that I'm talking about here tonight. But I'm talking about people uh, who have a genuine biblical faith and those who mimic that lifestyle through their reliance upon the mere religious culture of Adventism. Does Adventism have a culture, yes or no? Do we have a culture, what do you say? We have a culture of Big Franks and Veggie Links and Veggie Pats and I mean I can't keep up with all the Pats and the Franks and whatever there is. And we've got our little system of things that we do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. But I'm very much afraid that this culture that we have adopted has replaced the biblical faith that God wants us to have. It's not a new thing. It's something that has existed in the church since its beginning. And we're going to look at a perfect example of this in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis, chapter 25. If you don't have your Bibles, please pick one up in the pew there or look it up on your phone, whatever you want, but just look it up somewhere. And I'm going to start here in verse uh, 23. The Bible's talking about um, Isaac being uh, having a child, two children, and it's describing it, them being born right here, verse 23. Genesis 25, thirty, 30 twenty five twenty three. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two peoples shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the younger older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were two twins in her womb, and the first came out red, he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. And afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, or supplanter, or deceiver. And Isaac was 60 years old when, he, uh, when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And I'm, I'm going to read on down here in just a minute, but I want you to see something very important here. These two young men, these two brothers, were very much like many of you here tonight. Not that any of you are hairy. Some of you might be, and that's okay. Don't be ashamed of it. Be proud of it. Amen? But these two brothers were both raised in the church, yes or no? They were both raised in the faith. Yes or no? They were multicultural Adventists, you could say, because their father, or grandfather was Abraham, their father was Isaac, and then they were born into that faith. They were at least, you know, third generation Adventists. Are you with me? Both had the same knowledge of God... And both were essentially the princes of God. They they were sons of their fathers who were the princes of God. They were going to be the line of the Messiah. So they were very much like you. They heard all the stories growing up. They were told the truths of God. They were taught to keep the Sabbath. They were taught to respect their bodies, both inside by what they ate and outside by what they wore. They were taught many things very similar to what many of you were taught in your homes or in your church or in other places, correct? And yet there was still a division between the two of them. And if you go on down, even from birth, there was a difference between them. And if you look at verse 29, it talks about it. Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came out from the field. And he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and drank, arose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright esau was raised in the same home as jacob correct and yet he sold his birthright as the oldest son for a temporary pleasure he sold what god had given to him for something that would only last for a moment And yet he was still in the house of Abraham and Isaac. He quickly, when he had the first chance, threw off the restraints of his spiritual upbringing to satisfy his fleshly carnal nature at the first opportunity that he got. And the selling of this birthright for a temporary earthly indulgence influenced the course of the rest of his life. A bowl of soup influenced him for the rest of his life how true it is for you and I tonight yes or no we are the sons and daughters of God God has given this church precious truth he has a mission for this church and so many of us tonight Take it as something of indifference. Take it as something that doesn't really mean very much. Something that is, well, you know, that's really for my parents, but it's not really for me. That's for those people who want to be spiritual. But but it doesn't really impact me. It doesn't really matter to me. How true it is that today, as a church, we are selling the birthright we are selling the privilege of being god's last day church for something that would satisfy us for a moment how many of us are selling tonight our relationship with god for something that really doesn't mean a hill of beans in the eyes of eternity how many of us are right now probing facebook when God has a message for us tonight, what was the difference between them? You know, Jacob was not perfect himself. He was a deceiver. He he went in and lied to his own father about being Esau because he ought, not only did he 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 bought the birthright for a bowl of soup, but he also wanted the blessing. And you know, Jacob wasn't perfect, but the difference between Jacob and Esau is that Jacob, though he was deceiving and he was unconverted, he wanted to be God's man. He wanted to be in the favor with God. He wanted to know that God would bless him and would give him favor. He wanted to know that he was right with God. He wanted to know that he would be a spiritual leader of his home. He went about it the wrong way, but his intentions were true. And that also cost him. He went about it the wrong way, and so his brother was going to threaten to kill him. And then he left, and he went, and he laid his head on a stone, and he saw the angels coming up and down. You remember that story? Then he went on, and he went and stayed with um, uh, Laban and the others. And then whenever he came back, something happened in his life. He wrestled with God. You understand? When he was on his way there, he laid his head down and he saw, he was so sorrowful, he thought to himself, I'll never see my mother again. I'll never probably see my father again. I've left my home quite possibly for the last time. He left everything behind. And there he laid on that rock and he saw that though he had left everything behind, though his choices had, co- had cost him dearly, he saw that there was a God who had not left him behind. And when he saw those angels going up and down that ladder, he knew that God was going to forgive him, that God was going to transform his life. And it was there that he received a life-altering faith and transformation that would change him for the rest of his life. And his life became something different. It became something new. It became something fresh. And his purpose was different. You know, for many of us today, we like the blessing of the culture, but we don't want the spiritual blessing. We like the material, the earthly blessing that this culture provides, very much like Esau. But we don't want to have the spiritual blessing like Jacob. And when Jacob came back, to, to, to where he was going back to his homeland, that night on the river, he wrestled with God. And in the middle of the night as he was praying, God laid a hold of him and began to wrestle. and You know, I think that very few of us understand what that experience really is. But listen friends, if we're going to truly know God, you're going to have to wrestle with Him. You're going to have to search for Him. And you're going to have to search for him more than you search for your girlfriend or for your boyfriend or for your iPhone when you misplace it. You're going to have to search with him as if your life was depending on it. Both started out with the same spiritual foundation. So what made the difference? Well, Esau was immersed in the faith of his fathers as a child, but his preference for the material blessing of the culture rather than the actual faith that Jacob experienced did not lead him to seek that transformation of heart and character like Jacob. He only existed in the culture so that he could gain an earthly material thing. And I'm curious to know that if it's possible that many of us here tonight might be following the same course a pastor once said being born in the truth is not the same as being true Have you ever thought about that before just because you were born in the truth doesn't make you true quickly turn with me to matthew chapter 3 i know time is running out but you guys are very patient people here at southern so, the South is a very hospitable place. I grew up about an hour and a half, hour and a half south of here. You may not know it by my accent, but I used to have a southern twang. I used to drive an old beat-up pickup truck in my old days, and I would chew tobacco and spit out the window when it was going down the road, and I was just a nasty old cuss. But Christ changed my life, Amen. But I know that the South is very hospitable. Go with me to Matthew chapter three quickly. Matthew chapter three, verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." So John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way for who? Who's he coming to prepare the way for? Jesus, don't get tired and don't get distracted and don't leave because I know that on Saturday night, if you can watch two or three movies in a row, you can listen to a 45-minute sermon. Amen? Somebody ought to say amen. All right, very good. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Now John was not exactly the kind of guy that you would see walking around the campus of Southern, was he? He was a little bit different. He's a little bit odd. He's a little bit peculiar. I want you to notice something very interesting. He dressed differently. He what? He dressed differently. He also ate differently. What did he do? He ate differently. And he also looked differently differently what 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 did he do what was he he looked different now a word that we might use for that would be a peculiar would you say would you agree with that have you ever heard that word before peculiar i think it's in the bible somewhere isn't it that we're called to be a peculiar people We are called to be different than everyone else. And sometimes people say, well, you know, if I'm different than everyone else, if I really follow the way the Bible says, people are going to think I'm too strict. People are going to think I'm weird. They're not going to want to hang around me. They're not going to want to interact with me. I'm not going to have any friends. But guess what? John was that way. He looked different. He dressed different. He ate different. But if you'll notice the next verse, something very interesting happened. Look at this. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to Him and were baptized by Him at the Jordan confessing their sins. And so the reality is it didn't matter that John was different than everybody else, did it? Because though John looked different, dressed different, ate different, he also spoke differently. And when he spoke The power of heaven was in his words. And everybody went out to listen to what he said. Are you with me, yes or no? They didn't mind that he looked different, because he was different. He was charged with the current and the power and the grace and the love and the joy and the truth of heaven. And when he spoke, even the Pharisees went out and they listened to him. And so that did, the way that you look, the way that you dress and all those things, when you dress the way God calls you to, doesn't hinder your influence. In fact, it enhances it. And then when the people came out to be baptized, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him. He said to them, brood of vipers, It's not exactly what you want to say to people coming to get baptized on a nice Sabbath morning, is it? You dirty little snakes in the grass, what are you doing here, right? It's not exactly what you want to say to your baptismal candidates. But he said, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? And I want you, I would say more about this, but I just want to point out this one thing, verse 9. He says, therefore, verse 8, bear fruits worthy of what? Repentance. You can only bear fruits worthy of repentance when you've repented. And you can only repent when you've been drawn by the living Christ. And you can only repent of those sins When God moves upon your heart, otherwise you're not going to care. Are you with me? So, if you're here tonight and you don't care, I would be nervous about that. You should be nervous about that because you should care because your eternity is on the line. And some people say, well, you shouldn't say that to people because that's scary. You call it whatever you want, but the one thing I know it is is it's the reality. You understand? John said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then he says this, don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Listen, what he's saying is this, it doesn't matter if you're a fifth generation Seventh-day Adventist. Don't think to say that we have, you know, um, Ellen White is our grandmother. One guy came to me one time and he says, I'm the great, great, great uh, grandson of Ellen White. And I said, Great. People walk around and they say, well, we're sixth generation Adventists. Our forefathers started the work in some country. Great. And I mean, I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm not saying we should be disrespectful. We should appreciate that work. Amen? What I'm saying is that doesn't mean anything for you. It might mean something to you, but it doesn't mean anything for you. Are you with me? Because God, don't miss this point, please. God does not have uh, grandchildren. He only has children. Let me repeat that for you. God does not have grandchildren. He only has what? Children. The faith of your parents will not get you entrance into eternity with God. No matter how much they pray for you, no matter how much you, how many, how how great of a saint they are, it's only your own decision that's going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that? Are you with me? Are, are you follow that logic? And it's a decision that you have to make. And let me tell you, the Adventist culture will cause you to be lost unless you have the Adventist faith that goes right along with it. Are you with me? Unless you have that faith for yourself, you will be lost. Now, I'm going to skip part of my sermon because I can feel the hot breath of of my hosts that are are ready for me to start drawing to a close. But I'm just going to tell you real briefly, uh, real quickly this. In John chapter 6, I won't go to it. Guess what? I'm going to go to it. And you're so sweet and you're so kind. John chapter 6. He says this. Jesus says in verse 26, uh, He went over the other side of the sea and the people came and followed Him. In verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He said you followed Me because you wanted something to eat. Not because you're interested in eternal life. And then he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to what? Everlasting life, he says, which the Son of Man will give you because the God the Father has set His seal upon Him. Jesus says, What are you doing with your life today? What are you laboring for? Are you laboring for a degree at Southern? Fine, nothing wrong with that. Are you laboring in whatever work you're doing to try to cut down your tuition when you graduate? Fine, nothing wrong with that. But is that the sole purpose of your life? Is that the only reason you live? Is that the thing that you're striving for above everything else? Then Jesus says you're striving for something that's going to perish and pass away. Your purpose in life is to get that degree so you can better serve God, not better serve yourself. Not to have a bigger house. Not to have a better job. But it's to say, Lord, how can I serve you the most effectively? Listen, these people were following a culture because it had brought them great prosperity but they missed the point that the culture was to lead them to a faith. We have a culture as Adventists and the point of it is to lead you into a faith that in Christ that will save your soul. They followed Jesus because of the loaves and fishes, but not because of His presence. They ate from His hand, but they did not eat from His heart. They followed Jesus to have their stomachs filled with the bread rather than their heart filled with his spirit. When he revealed that the bread they were searching for was himself, they scoffed at him. They wanted to make him king because he'd be able to feed them. Religious culture, don't miss this, sits at Jesus' feet, but only to be fed conveniently in this life without any discomfort or preparation for the next. Culture would sit and be fed in this life, but not anything spiritual. But biblical faith will seek the spiritual bread even at the expense of the physical. I can remember a story about James White. And when James White, James White, for some of you may not know, is the husband of Ellen White. And when James White first heard the message of the Advent movement and Jesus was coming very soon, he had no money, very little clothing. He only had one jacket that was very light and it had holes in it, and he had didn't even have a horse. So his uncle loaned him a old broken down horse and a broken down half uh, used saddle. And he got on that horse and for three months, he rode around preaching that Jesus was coming soon. The snow many times was so deep that he had to get off his horse and lead it through the snow. He didn't eat half the time. He didn't know where his next meal came from, but he knew that there was a message that people needed to hear. And that he had the ability to carry it to them. So at every expense of himself, He was willing to surrender any and make any sacrifice. He was willing to surrender any comfort to tell people about Jesus walking through the snow and the middle of winter in New England, guiding his horse to the next town to tell people that Jesus was coming soon without a care in the world of himself. People don't do that kind of a thing unless that thing is very much worth sacrificing for. Do you understand that? And that was the attitude and the mentality of all of our Adventist pioneers. Why is it not the attitude and the the spirit of every student at Southern? Because you don't know the message like you should. Because maybe you're trusting in a culture rather than a faith. Maybe you've rejected both. I don't know. But I'll tell you what. I'm not saying everybody here is unspiritual. That's not what I'm saying. There's many spiritual people here, but we all need to go deeper, amen? But before you reject that thing fully, you might want to take a look at what it's really all about. You understand? Because I've found that many Adventist young people strive as hard as they can to get away from the thing that they've always been looking for, but they didn't know they were looking for. And they go through this big wide circle all around the world and doing all kinds of crazy junk and they come back and they say, man, this is where I was always supposed to be. Well, why not make that decision before you take that big little circuit ride through the wilderness of 40 years? That brings us down to today and I'm about to close. I won't read it, but if you go to Matthew chapter 25, you read about the 10 virgins. How many have ever read that parable before? The 25th chapter of Matthew prophetically describes God's people right before He comes. Two groups of people, and I wish we had time to go through it, but we don't. But let me just say this. A true understanding of this parable reveals something. That there are those cultural Adventists, who have secluded themselves from the world, they have understood the truth, and yet they still enjoy the world's pleasure and benefits. Those who, I'm just going to read this because it'll be shorter. Can I do that? I don't like doing that, but I'm just going to do it quickly. Those who profess Christ within Adventism, but cannot in the life testify and bear fruit of a changed heart, only admit that they are a product of a nice culture rather than divine grace. Listen, what Jesus wants is a life transformation. More importantly, before that can happen, He wants a heart transformation. And Jesus has done everything possible to make sure you have every opportunity for your heart to be transformed and changed. Do you understand? How many of you would know tonight, how many of you understand that your life at some point or another needs a transformation how many of you would confess to that tonight how many of you would just admit that a- and you may not agree with it now you may say well i'm going to put that off or i don't really think that so but 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 one day in life you're going to come to the conviction within yourself that my life needs changed i am not the person i want to be i'm not the person i should be my heart is corrupt And we recognize that God brings that conviction to every person at some point in their life. And we realize that this nice little veggie meat, veggie dog culture is not enough to pass us through the judgment. And we have to have a true living connection with the Savior. And Christ is the only way out. And He's making every opportunity for us to escape the corruption of this world. But if our hearts are too hard to receive it, we will die in this world. And we will pass away with it. Without an entire surrender of the will, we cannot have that experience. God is inviting us tonight to surrender. And without this, we don't ever come to Christ, and we certainly don't lead others to Him. You know, many times we want deliverance from evil. We say, God, why do you let this bad thing happen to me? But we don't want deliverance from the sin that got us there. We want freedom from evil, but not from sin. There's a difference and saying I believe the Bible and recognizing that the Bible has changed me. There's a difference in saying I believe in Christ versus saying I've accepted Christ. There's a difference between saying I've heard all my life that Jesus is coming soon versus Jesus really is coming soon and that radically transforms the way that I live my life from day to day, there's a difference in saying, "Well, I try to live right," versus saying, "Jesus, because I've fully opened my heart to him, lives his life through mine. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me." There's a difference in saying, "I was raised in the church," versus saying, "I am the church, the body of Christ." There's a difference between saying that the church is irrelevant and saying that I believe and understand that the church is a prophetic movement. And you must understand this very clearly tonight. A culture including an Adventist culture that does not have the Adventist faith in Christ and Christ alone, a culture that rejects the righteousness of Christ that he paid such a high price to give. A culture will eventually deny Christ in person the same way that the Jews denied him when they put him on a cross. Some people say, "Well, I pay my tithe, I go to church. I'm good." I can go take my nap in the afternoon and i take my little Sabbath rest, not really understanding that that is a system of works no different than Hinduism or Buddhism. Unless those things are happening in our life, the paying of the time, the church, whatever, from a heart that has been transformed by a living Christ who rose from the dead. You understand, my friends, that your sin and mine was placed upon Christ and when it was placed upon Him on the cross, it killed Him. It killed Him. And He was put in a tomb and yet, the righteousness and the goodness and the purity that lives within Christ was great enough to still raise Him from the dead on the third day despite the fact that your sin had pinned Him in the grave, and if His righteousness is great enough to raise Him from the dead when all the sin of every person in the world, including yours, was put upon Him, then when you open your heart to Him fully, that same life and that same righteousness and that same holiness now will come and dwell in you and raise you to life from your spiritual death. How I many can say amen to that? Isn't that a powerful thought? That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in you and raise you from death, both the spiritual and the physical. There is nothing wrong with the biblical tenets of Adventism. The culture, there's nothing wrong with the culture, my friends. But if we rely upon that culture, the faith of our parents without having a living faith of our own we will die and we will die for eternity i'm pleading with you tonight if you have not made that decision if you have not explored that faith if you've not searched for it with all of your heart, maybe you've made a couple of half-hearted attempts, maybe you've made a half, couple of half-hearted searches, but you've not really made that decision. But maybe tonight's your night. Maybe tonight is the night for you to open your heart to the Savior. Maybe tonight is to say, you know what, it's... I've heard this stuff all my life, but tonight it's hitting me a different way. I don't know exactly what it is, but God is beginning to speak to my heart. You can listen to this all your life and your heart be closed to a certain point in time and this may be the time for you. I don't know. Only God knows and only you know. But if it is your moment, then do not let it pass you by. I had a friend named John. And John was a a drug dealer. He was a gangbanger. He used to steal cars. He used to sell drugs to kids. And John met Jesus. And Jesus changed John's life. Can you say amen? John became a Bible worker. He was baptized. He gave his heart to Christ. He gave his life to... He became a Bible worker and was a really good one for a number of years. But after a while, John took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to drift back into the lifestyle that he once had and he began to sell drugs again and he, 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 he went and bought himself another pistol and he began to get caught back into that scene and he began to party and, and one particular night this guy invited him to a party and so he went and while he was at the party there was another guy there that invited him to go out back with him and do a bunch of hardcore drugs. And so John said, sure, I'll come out with you. So he went out with this guy, and and while the guy was preparing the drugs, John said, hey, I'm going to slip over here behind this building, and I'm going to use the bathroom. So he went over there in the shadows of those buildings, and when he did, out stepped a gang who looked at him and said, you're in the wrong place, buddy. You're in our territory. What are you doing here? And so the answer he gave didn't satisfy them, so they started to beat him up. And when that other guy, he was going to do drugs with Saul, them beating him up, the other guy ran over there and started to yell at them and and, and try to get them off of John. And so they went from beating on John to beating on this guy. And as they were beating him, somebody pulled out a knife and they stabbed the guy over 20 times. And as he was bleeding, they all started to realize what happened, so they ran away, and John was left there, beat up, next to this guy who had been stabbed, and he was dying right there in front of his very eyes. He died that same night when they took him to the hospital. And later on, John began to find out about this guy, and he found out that this guy had actually been, was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. He was raised in the church, but he had drifted away and got himself caught up in this lifestyle, and you wouldn't even begin to guess what the guy's name was. He was a Hispanic man, and his name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. And John realized in a very powerful way A man named Jesus died in my place. And he saw that firsthand. He said, it should have been me that died. They were beating up me first. But this man intervened. And he saved my life at the expense of his own life. And that broke his heart. And he gave his heart back to God. And he was just baptized again this year. And he's back in the church. But he has a real life experience. Sometimes I think we have a hard time grasping that Jesus really died for us and the price that he paid. But understand that no higher price could have been paid for you. And Jesus is inviting you tonight to respond to the greatest level of unselfish love you will ever know in your life. He doesn't try to guilt us into anything. He doesn't try to manipulate us, but he invites us, and he will not ever stop inviting until we permanently close the door. But he says, look, is there anything else I could do for you? Because if there is, you just tell me and I'm going to do it. No one else, not even the parents that love you, can pursue you with such perfect, pure love as Jesus does. And He did intervene when every one of us, we've all sinned and we're all condemned to death. Not condemned by God, but condemned by ourselves, our own actions, our own choices. But God says, no, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to step in front and I'm going to take the knife through the heart. Because I cannot stand to live eternity without them. There's a special place in God's heart tonight that no one else in the universe can fill except you. So please, do not deny Jesus the opportunity to spend eternity with Him. and Don't deny yourselves the opportunity to spend eternity with Him. In your pew, there's a card. And you may want to, tonight, fill that card out. It's late, I know, but you'll survive. And that card gives you an opportunity to make a decision with your life. It's your life, you have a right to do whatever you want to. You can take this card and rip it in half and throw it at me if you want to. Or you can fill it out and say, Lord, I don't want to turn from you again. I, I got to know that my life has the Adventist faith, not just a culture. So there in that card it says, I want to repent of my sins and surrender my life to Jesus. I once followed Jesus but have drifted away and I want to recommit my life to Him. I need special prayer, you may need to talk to somebody, I would like to express my commitment to God through baptism, there's also the opportunity for you to make a decision to be giving your life to mission work and service and you'll draw close to Jesus in ways you never have before if you choose that. If God wants you to fill out that card tonight, don't leave here without doing it. But if He doesn't, then just don't. But as you're filling out that card, you can just leave it on the seat beside you. But I do want to make an appeal tonight. It is late, but that's all right. There may be those tonight who say, Lord, I've been living a lie. I've been living in a culture. I've been just wanting to have the material blessings of the culture, but I haven't had an interest and spiritual things but you're speaking to me tonight and Lord in some way or another I want my life to be yours I want my life to be in your hands I want to follow you with all my heart and it may be that person here tonight you're all still sitting and so it's gonna make it very hard so only the people that are really serious about this are gonna follow this and, and, and come forward but if that's your decision tonight you say Lord I don't want to mess around I want to be serious with you I don't want to just have a facade. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I really want to know you and I want to have that deep relationship with you. I want to have a faith like these people had because these people don't live and die like they did for just a foolish fairy tale. And I want it to be real in my life. If that's you, just come forward tonight and we'll have prayer. Anybody at all that wants to make that decision, just stand to your feet and come forward. I know there's got to be at least one in a group this size, amen, for those that are coming forward. If there's another, it doesn't matter if you're a student or a faculty or a faculty or a student or just someone coming, if there are those tonight that say, Lord, you're speaking to my heart, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to be number one. Something has to change in my heart and I'm opening my heart to you tonight, I'm saying, Lord." if you want to have complete control of my life i'm giving it to you tonight just come doesn't matter what your friend thinks your boyfriend or girlfriend beside you shake free from whatever might be hindering you and just come and jesus sees you coming and there's going to be a step for you to follow after this step and i don't know what that'll be for each of you but god will reveal it to you But you want to spend that time with Him. Open your Bibles. Get on your knees as if your life depended upon it and let nothing stop you. Read the books that I mentioned earlier and begin drawing close to God. And if you don't feel close to Him, feelings aren't everything. You have to extend that faith that shoots beyond the darkness. But never doubt that god is with you because he is let's pray father in heaven tonight you see those who are making decisions there may be others right now wrestling and squirming in their seats under conviction of the holy spirit and if they are don't give them any rest lord get them to move right now to come down here it's not too late it's never too late it's not even too late after tonight but why wait just come now Father, You're speaking to our hearts tonight. You're moving upon us. We live in a world that's crumbling, and if we don't think that or believe that, we're deceived. And I pray tonight that Your faith will be real to us. You want us to have not just a nice little culture, but You want us to have a true faith in the Savior. And He is living. He is not dead. He's alive. He's interceding for us right now. And right now, heaven looks down and it sees those who are opening their hearts. And it rejoices. And we can believe that everything under heaven will be available to us as we develop that relationship with you. So we ask you to bless us tonight and lead us onward and upward